my earliest memory of my dad is me uh, falling asleep in the living room as a as a very small child and waking up in his arms while he was carrying me to bed and I looked up and there was dad today we're going to read a story about a man who as far as we know has not encountered God personally himself Everything Jacob has from God is secondhand. When you go back through the record, he's been scheming and conniving, trying to get in the good graces of his father, stealing the birthright and the blessing so that he can be the family heir. But until this encounter we're going to read, He's really been sort of a grandchild of God. Genesis 28. Thank you, Zach, Michelle, Jean, and all the team. You've been singing about a lot of themes that are in this text. Verse 10 of chapter 28 of Genesis. Now, we have been sitting down with the patriarchs. We sat down with Abraham and Isaac because Jesus said, Many will come from the east and the west, the north and the south, and will sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus made that comment in one of his teachings. And so we've been sitting down with Abraham. We did that for three months. Sitting down with Isaac then for another three months. And now for the next three months, guess what? We're going to sit down with Jacob, all right? Sitting down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I have decided at the prompting of the worship team to add another of the patriarchs who is not in the primary three to the final teaching of this year, and we're going to sit down with many colored coat Joseph. Now, if you've not been through the Joseph pilgrimage in a while, it's something to look forward to, all right? Great teaching in the book of Genesis. But today I'm starting sitting down with Jacob. You'll recall he has stolen his brother's blessing. After that, his father Isaac, who is blind, apparently realizes that God is in all this and he delivers in the first part of chapter 28, the blessing, the patriarchal blessing that came to Abraham and then to himself. He delivers that to Jacob. In the first blessing, it almost sounds like he's talking to Esau, which he thought he was. The richness of the earth and the dew of heaven and things like that. But in the reiteration of the blessing, it sounds very much like what God spoke to Abraham and to Isaac. And so Jacob is leaving Because his brother's threatening to kill him. He has stolen the blessing. And Esau's already said, you know, the days of mourning from my father are going to come pretty quick. Then I'm going to kill my brother. And so Rebekah and Isaac are sending him away. Verse 11 of chapter 28 of Genesis says, Jacob left Beersheba 
and set out for Haran. That's a fairly long journey, especially on foot. He's going north, maybe 150 miles, something like that, maybe further. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid. And said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. So that's how he responds to his first great encounter with God. Has God ever spoken to you in a dream? This experience is not unique to Jacob, you know. God will speak to his son Joseph in a dream. God will speak to Pharaoh in a dream and Joseph will interpret. God will speak to many in the Old Testament and in the New, in dreams and in visions. Not everything you dream is a message from God, all right? I know you're relieved about that. (laughs) We dream a lot of things that don't have any spiritual significance. But I think every once in a while, we dream something that brings God's Word to us. In fact, I understand that often people who are in other religions, who were not reared in the Christian faith, and I have actually met some of these, are first prompted in their search for Christ by a dream. You know, I had a recurring dream when I was a boy, for another boyhood story here. 
We lived in El Paso, which is desert, and we lived on the very edge of the desert. And I had this dream where I was in the middle of a vast expanse. And at first I seemed rather prominent, and then I just began to shrink, and the sand and the expanse around me began to grow until I was a tiny dot in the middle of a great stretch of nothing. And if I looked at the little tiny dot me in the middle of that vast expanse, I could see that my lips were moving and I was trying to cry out, but no sound would come out. And I had the dream over and over again, maybe a dozen times. I know, I need to go see somebody, right? (laughs) Well, I knew God was with me. As a boy, I'd already trusted Christ as Savior, was aware of my sinfulness, and had given my life to Christ and was seeking to walk with Him when this dream came to me. And after the recurrence of the dream, I started saying, God, are you trying to tell me something? And here's the conclusion I came to about that dream. I decided that my dream was God telling me you're a dot in the universe without me I'm the one not you and it actually furthered my pilgrimage of faith as I sought the God who is everything And found my significance in him. And only a couple years after having that recurring dream over and over again. I wrote a song that became sort of the theme of my life. I was just 16 when I wrote it. I want my life to count for Jesus. My brothers and I sang it all the time. But when I look back to my boyhood. And see that pilgrimage of faith. Part of that pilgrimage was that dream. Jacob runs and God comes to him in a dream. We know it's God because it's the reiteration of the promise, the covenant made with Abraham and Isaac, now made with Jacob, the grandson of Abraham. Jacob finds this place and he lays down because it is dark. And in the midst of it, he has a dream. A stairway leading to heaven. I want to tell you something, okay? You are at the foot of a stairway. Jacob didn't know it. And maybe you don't. Maybe you, like Jacob, have been so far from God, so far from faith, so long in talking to God that you don't realize that you're at the foot of a stairway. The core idea of the stairway here is to be lifted or exalted. I think about Jacob in his dream looking up. And as far as I can tell, it's the first time he's really looked up. Sometimes people get caught in the muck and the mire of life and they're fighting down here hand and fist. They feel like they're in the foxhole. 
and they have yet to look up. And when Jacob looked up, he saw two things. In his dream, he saw the angels ascending and descending. And I want you to think about God's messengers of grace ascending and descending to you. That the angels are watching over you. Just like Jesus said they do. And whatever the trouble in your life, that you're not alone. And that God is at the top of that stairway. You say, now wait a minute. This is an experience that Jacob had. It's his dream. It doesn't apply to us. Oh, I think just as surely as the Lord was in that place and Jacob didn't know it, so the Lord is in your place and maybe you don't know it. Jacob all this time has had a rich heritage of faith. His grandparents and his parents were people of faith. He saw them pray to God. He heard about the promise. But it had never been delivered to him. There's a lot of people like that. There's a lot of people in churches who, as far as personal experience with God, they've never had one. They couldn't go back to a time and say, I encountered God. They believe in the ethics. They believe in the morality. They give assent to some of the propositions of theology and doctrine. They say they believe the Bible. But if God ever spoke to them, it's been long, long ago. Jacob is a guy just like that. He's been going through life trying to scramble and put it all together. He's going to continue in this kind of character. Sort of scheming and plotting, working his way in the world, trying to get on the top, you know, fighting the fight every day. That's Jacob. And all of a sudden, God interrupts his routine. I think about Jacob and what's on his mind. He is fleeing from his family. It is a time of great difficulty for him. He is afraid. Esau could be on his heels. He is running for his life. But he is doing so in the context of this promise delivered to him by his dad. That the Lord above is going to bless you and be with you. And you are heir to the covenant made with your grandfather and father. And when he puts his head on that rock that night, he's thinking about this truth. He is afraid, yes, he doesn't know what's in front of him, yes. But the words of his father are ringing in his ears. What his dad said, God now speaks to him. I wish that would happen to some of you. What your dad said, what your mom said, what you go back to a generation ago. I wish you could hear it firsthand from God Himself so that this would be personal to you 
and you would appropriate a faith that's alive and real in you? It's what we need. We need what is handed down, but we need what is ours. And this is what Jacob discovers at Bethel. You, my friend, are in an awesome place. You may not have thought it up to now. It may not appear to you to be an awesome place. You may be right now in a place that troubles you and feels alien and strange to you. You may in in fact feel like a stranger in the place where you are. But you are in an awesome place. Jacob woke up that morning and said, The Lord is in this place. And I didn't know it. How awesome is this place? Some of you are thinking, if I could get to a different place, then God might speak to me. And if I ever get to the place I'm headed, then I'll serve God and I'll hear from Him and I'll walk with Him. One of these days, when I get to that place, and I'm telling you today, you're in the place right now. If God can't speak to you here, then where? If God can't talk to you now, then when? Jesus came to deliver His Word to a world in need. The Holy Spirit was poured out upon His church beyond measure. Even in the Old Testament, Jacob knew, this place where I am is the house of God. What does that mean? This is where God lives. This is where God dwells. Right where you are. Your place. Your time. God's living in your place. You may not know it. You need to wake up to the reality of where you are. In whose presence you live. Whose house it really is. The scripture says, where shall I go to flee from your presence? Is there some place I could run and you not be there? And the answer is no. Brother, you can't get anywhere, but God's not there. For you to appropriate the truth that God is in the place now where I am, that the angels ascend and descend in this place, and that the Lord above is bringing me into covenant with Him where I live now. I tell you, it would change your life, change your time, and change your place. It would change your perspective on what's happening to you to know what Jacob discovered in this place beside the road. How awesome is this place? This is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven.
I know people who are scrambling around looking for heaven's gate. They're looking for the path, you know. They spend all their life seeking and searching. I like what Augustine said. I do not say to you, seek the way. The way itself has come to you. Arise and walk. What it means is that you have a God in heaven who loves you in the place and in the time that you occupy now. And he is connecting that place to himself. He wants to know you and you to know him. He is speaking his covenant word to you. He is inviting you into a relationship with him in the here and now, in the place where you are. We really begin our spiritual pilgrimage. We really begin it when we know that God is in this place. That this is the house of heaven where I am. This is the gate. This is where God dwells. You know, you could spend your whole life, sister, looking off to the next thing you hope will happen to you. You could spend your whole life, brother, looking down the road to that time you long for when life will come together for you and you'll finally be of maximum effectiveness, you know? You'll finally be useful. I think sometimes we look off like that our whole life through. In high school, it's college. In college, it's marriage and career. After that, it's when the kids are grown. After that, it's when I retire. You spend your whole life looking off, waiting for the day when you're finally at the place where you think God will use you and speak to you. And the message of God to Jacob at Bethel is right now, right here. This is where the journey begins. This is where you get on the track with God. And if you wander away from here unaware of God's presence in the here and now, you're still not. You're still not on the way. The way itself has come to you. It's in here. It's the opening of the heart to the power and presence of God in your life. When God catches Jacob, he's in a difficult place. That's not unusual. God often finds us in a difficult place where we are in trouble and under duress. And there are people in this room just like that. You are struggling and you know it. And life has gotten hard for you. And sometimes in the struggle, we want to come to God like Jacob did. But I want to help you do better than Jacob, all right? Because after this great encounter with God, Jacob goes on to be a 
a pretty well scheming human being like he was before. It's going to take another wrestle with God before he turns into the prince, into Israel. He's going to leave this place with a great sense that he is in covenant with God, but it's not going to be practical in his life like you want it to be. Part of the reason is that Jacob's got all kind of conditions for God. So I suggest to you, the stairway of heaven rests where you are. You are in an awesome place. But don't throw conditional clauses at God. Oh, God, if you will only make sure that I have food and clothes... And I make my way safely. If you will do this, if you will do that, then I, you will be my God. And I'll follow you. In fact, I'm going to do something amazing. I'm going I'm to give you a tenth of everything I get. If you'll just come through for me, God. And Jacob's response is to barter with God. I want to show you a better response, okay? Why do you worry about food and clothes? The sparrows do not sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And why do you worry about what you're going to wear. Consider the flowers in the field which rise up today and tomorrow they're thrown into the oven. But even Solomon in all his glory was not dressed like one of these. If God dresses the flowers that way which are here today and gone tomorrow, will he not much more take care of you? So I'm telling you, all that worrying you're doing, all that anxiety, all that stuff you want to barter with God about, all those conditional phrases in, Lord, if you'll just do this, don't be anxious. The Lord knows you need those things. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things will be added to you as well. You say, preacher, where do you come up with all that? You know, that's just Matthew chapter 6. That's the heart of the Sermon on the Mount. That's the core teaching of Jesus of Nazareth, our Savior and Lord. It's the heart of what He has to say to every man, woman, and child in this room. And what is that? I am sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. God's grace can be displayed in you wherever you are, whatever your trouble. What you need to do is let go and let God have whatever there is of your life. And in full surrender, giving yourself unto Him, you will discover 
that life flows in the laying down of it. We don't need to bargain with God. He already desires and longs for the best for us. He has prepared a home for us in heaven. He has given us the promises that are sure and certain. God sent His one and only Son to die on the cross for us to pay the penalty for our sin. The love of God, the amazing love of God, the overwhelming love of God is settled at the cross. You never have to ask the question again, does God love me? You already know the answer because of Calvary. This is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to lay down His life for us. I'm wondering about you, whether you know that God is in your place, whether you know it firsthand, because you've heard from Him and He has spoken to you, or is it secondhand still? You know it because theologically, you know, God is everywhere, the ubiquity of Christ. All right, you got the doctrine down. Good. What about the personal sense of the presence of God in the here and now in your life? Would you bow with me, please? Jacob closed his eyes like you and I do now. And he went to sleep. And as he had his eyes closed, God spoke to him. Lord, I pray that you would speak to men and women in this room whose heads are bowed and eyes are closed. We need to hear from you. Lord, I pray in this holy moment that you would show us who you are. Let us know of your concern and love and enable us to respond in faith to your call. God sent His Son so that you could be His child and be in His family, have forgiveness of sin. If you've never received Him, would you just pray and ask Christ to forgive you, to come into your life, to be your personal Savior? Not second-hand faith anymore, but in your own right, exercising the will and volition of heart to receive Christ. Father God, thank you for being in this place. 
Thank you for the way you surprise us in life's journey when we're going through our routine and all of a sudden you are there in the midst of things. Thank you, God, for the word you speak of love and care. Just like you spoke to Jacob, that you'd be with him and take care of him. So speak that word again. Help us hear it now. Help us know its truth. I pray for those who are under the greatest stress and difficulty. God, that you would bring them into your presence so powerfully that you will deliver your strength when they are at rope's end, your wisdom when they know not what to do, your love when they are wrung out of emotion. God, that you will be to them water and food and life itself. Thank you, Lord, that in you we find all we need. Amen.